Welcome to the Maven Nation. Maven Nation, your tactical podcast to getting more, 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 or less. With your host, Michael Andrew. Good morning, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the very first guest on the Maven Nation. And in the Efficiency Playbook, Chapter 11, The Spyglass, I talk about the importance of having a mentor. If you are going to do something very difficult, or if you have a new job or a challenge, you are making it exponentially harder on yourself if you do not have a known expert in the field guiding your way. I cannot stress this enough. When I first got started in in wedding photography, it was about 2004, 2005, I met Becker online. He had a, a promotional packet that I purchased, and it was hugely beneficial, and I credit him as one of the top three photographers who really mentored me and allowed me to become successful and competitive. Becker, the thing that I love about him is he sees himself as a mentor and he's done it in a couple of fields. Now he he started something called the B school, which was for talk for photographers. I don't know how many photographers he's mentored. It has to be several hundreds, potentially thousands. And now he's a ketogenic diet coach. I am thrilled to have the Becker if you guys want to check out his photography work, it's thebecker.com. I'm sure we'll hear more about his websites. Becker, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm very excited to talk to you, Michael. I, I Again, I really appreciate you sending me an advanced copy of your book, and I'm about halfway through it, but I absolutely just love it because I've always been an efficiency guy, and I just love little tips and nuggets and anything I can learn from somebody else and apply it to my life to make my life a little bit better. That's what I'm all about. How in the world, I have to ask you this, and, and if there's anything that I missed about, you know, your background as a photographer, how in the world were you able to stay competitive in Southern California as a wedding photographer? Well, I, uh, you know, I came up at a time right when this little thing called the internet was getting popular. And I remember I would have to talk to early brides and say like, well, you could go on your computer and look at my pictures. You know, you have to, you know, get this thing called a browser and, go to CompUSA and like, you know, I don't know, I just did that. But what, what the reason that my friends and I, I think we're able to be successful is because we all helped each other instead of all competing and being standoffish. We all just figured like, Hey, you know, I can only do one wedding on a Saturday. And as soon as I'm booked, I would refer my friend Joe or my friend Mike or Pat or mm-hmm. Alex or whatever. And we'd all just kind of help each other out because we all know different people. And once we started collaborating instead of competing, we all seemed to do really, really well. That is such a great point. And you know, when I was getting started, I, I would get a lot of friction. I tried to make friends with other photographers. And they just didn't want to help me until I, fit, I met another photographer who took me kind of under her wing and we did the same thing. And that is a competitive advantage is when you have other photographers who are willing for, you know, to go for the win-win and give each other referrals. I mean, that's just, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, for sure. Because if a bride calls you, you can't just say, oh my gosh, I'm so good. You should hire me because you sound like an idiot if you're bragging. But if a bride calls me up and I'm not available on her day and I could say, oh my gosh, you've got to call my friend Joe. He's absolutely amazing. I'm able to talk him up, brag about him. And then they just get excited about Joe. So then when they call him, Joe calls me 15 minutes later and said, oh my gosh, the girl gave me her credit card over the phone, you know? And so, because you're, you're just able to, you know, you know, you'll be able to brag about your friends more than you're able to brag about yourself. And so if you can find three or four other photographers to brag about you and you just kind of share the wealth and help each other out, that's, that's the smart way to go. Absolutely. And I think Becker is being a little humble right now. Becker is elite level photographer. I think 
if you know, if I was going to get married, he's one of the two people I would ask to shoot my wedding. That's how good he is. If if you live in, you know, his area or, you know, doing a destination wedding, I would highly recommend him. Uh, is your photography website still at thebecker.com for those that want yeah, to Yeah, thebecker.com, been there forever. Um, but I need to know who's the other person you're considering. Oh, uh, the image is found. Nate Kaiser, I think he's- For sure. He's amazing, you know? Oh, he's way better than I am. That guy's so good. Seriously, <laughs> Nate is the man. He's he's incredible. And, um, there, you know, there are some other photographers, Jessica Claire, Jasmine Starr, really- incredible and very talented photographers. It's not my style or taste. You and Nate, I think are the ones that I kind of gravitate most towards in terms of style. Uh, Becker is being very humble right now because there are a number of other things that a photographer has to have to stay successful. It's not just technical or artistic competence. There's marketing and there's how to talk to the customers, how to weed out the bad customers and to do so and stay competitive is is a huge, huge thing. Becker, did you have any mentors when you got started into, uh, I know you started photography in high school, but when you got into wedding photography, did you have a mentor? Well, again, I had a virtual mentor. I, I bought a, a videotaped series from Dennis Reggie, who's kind of like the father of wedding photojournalism. And that's what actually got me excited about wedding photography. Because at the time I was shooting like fashion photography, I was doing headshots for actors and models and whatnot. And, and I had done a few weddings, but I didn't really enjoy it. But when once I learned his whole approach of kind of document the wedding as it happens and just going with the flow, it seemed like that was more suited to my style and personality. And that's when my business really started. And then, like I said, I didn't I don't know that I had like big mentors per se, but like I said, it was a lot more of the collaboration with my friends. We just kind of started helping each other out. So Joe Photo, um, you know, again, just 20 years after we met, he was the best man in my wedding and we helped each other immensely just kind of like bouncing ideas off of each other. Hey, what about this? Or check this photo out or how can I make this better? Or, you know, there was a lot of stuff like artistically as photographers, but then also as businessmen trying to figure out what works. Hey, look at these packages. Let's see if we can massage the prices or how do you sell parent albums or, and again, it really came down to that idea of collaboration. Um, you know, because anyone can be a mentor, you know, someone that is brand new, they might be able to teach you something, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm always looking to learn and go, oh, okay, that's a different perspective. And I never thought of it that way. And, and, and we, I, again, we always joked around kind of like the blind leading the blind, because we didn't really know what we were doing. All we know is the phones were ringing off the hook, brides were hiring us left and right. Yeah. You know, I got into photography right at the time that 35 millimeter became like, an acceptable thing for wedding photography because originally it was all about medium format. You had to have medium format cameras and all that stuff. And in fact, some of the local pros would, we were kind of like back on the AOL chat boards back in the day, we're kind of making fun of me because I shot 35 millimeter and it was just like, who cares? You know, you know, we just, go ahead. Yeah. We just helped each other out. I, I even remember, I have a strange memory where I can remember these very specific things. You wrote an article when you were starting to get into digital and you're like, you know what? These, these Canon digital cameras, or I think it was like the 10D or the 20D or something like really low end, you know, compared to our standards today. And you were talking about switching over because of the, you know, benefits of digital. And and that was a thing for a while too. Some people were, you know, no, not digital. I was going to ask you though, outside of technical competence, what are the three skill sets that you would recommend to a beginning wedding photographer? What do they need to know after they know how to use the camera? Well, I think the the number one skill in, in life and business and anything is people skills. You know, you have to be a people person. You have to be able to deal with people. I think now, nowadays the cameras are so good and with Lightroom, the technical prowess isn't as 
important. Like your camera's gonna get a decent exposure pretty much automatically. And then if it doesn't, Lightroom can help you out. So you do need to learn about composition, timing, lighting, those kinds of things for sure. But I'm just a big believer in people skills. If you if you can't talk to people, if you can't relate to people, um, we saw this uh, so many times over the years where people would be really, really talented photographers, but maybe they were just kind of a jerk yeah. or they weren't very nice and people didn't like to be around them. <laughs> and so how it goes is the bride will say, oh yeah, the photos were great, but he was kind of a jerk or he mm -hmm. was kind of, you know, it took forever to return phone calls, you know? So I think business skills and people skills and the ability to sell yourself because, you know, a lot of us are artists and we hate selling and we hate high pressure sale. But again, if you don't believe in what you're doing and say, Hey, look, I'm worth this money. No one's going to pay that fee. You know, uh, you really have to believe in yourself. So there, there is a lot of the people skills involved that are way more important in determining long-term success than whether you know how to calculate an exposure or do any off-camera lighting or anything like that. Absolutely true. I think this the people skills, and I saw exactly what you were talking about. This amazing photographer was just, I was at a wedding shooting video and he was just really upsetting the bride and it ruined the experience for her. And uh, she wouldn't even, she wouldn't even really want to pose for him anymore. So the people skills are absolutely huge. Becker, how important is efficiency and workflow? Well, again, I was always a workflow guy too. I, I'm a big believer in work smart, not hard. And, um, and again, I, I came up with my B flow and that was kind of the reason that I evolved and I did uh, end up opening up the B school because I was teaching about the business of photography and that side of it, but it was about workflow and it was about, Hey, if you can do this and you can, um, you know, do your work and your chores, you know, after the wedding faster, you, you end up making more money per hour mm -hmm. and you just have a more efficient life and workflow. And, and then again, I, I really embraced the, the switch to digital. We were digital in 2001, right at the very beginning, five and a half megapixel cameras. <laughs> Nikon D1X was the first camera that I thought, okay, Hey, I can get a, a you know, a 10 by 15 out of this or an 11 by 14. And it was good enough quality. Mm -hmm. So then it was it became like managing all those digital assets and then downloading and backing up and doing all the things on the computer. And I really I was always geeky with that kind of stuff. And so I just had this little workflow and I just got you just do it the same every single time. And so even today, if I shoot a wedding on Saturday, uh, usually I'm done with that wedding on Tuesday. You know, the photos are backed up, mm -hmm. downloaded, all that stuff. I've culled them. I've deleted the blinks and the bad ones. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is like before the bride and groom get back from their honeymoon, the first thing that they're going to see, they might see a couple preview shots on my blog, but they're going to see a designed wedding album, like less than a week after their wedding and say, Hey, here's how your album should look. That's uh, incredible. Would you, would you like to buy these extra pages? <laughs> and you're very good at, you're very good at, at in terms of uh, putting those packages together and making sure that the client not only gets what they want, but I hate to say the word upsell, but yeah, you're very good at that. You're very, very good at it. Uh, I have to ask you this question. Please be honest. RAWs versus JPEGs. If you're shooting a full wedding, what's your strategy? Okay, again, this comes back down to efficiency. And uh, I, again, I get I get chastised for this all the time, but I shoot 100% JPEGs at all of my weddings. And I always have. And it came down to um, the RAW is very good if you need to tweak some stuff afterwards or if you're not good at getting your exposure or the light balance or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I've been shooting for a long time, 20, over 25 years now, and I can walk into a room or look up at the sky and basically guess what the exposure is going to be and be within wow. a third or a half of a stop almost every time. That's crazy. But again, that takes practice and experience. 
But so I just felt like, gosh, you know, I could I could shoot all these files on raw and just just fill up drive after drive after drive and then go through all the thing and then export them as JPEGs anyway that get printed at the lab and they get all the stuff. And all that extra information that's in the raw file wasn't really that useful as long as you get good exposures. So Mm -hmm. again, I'm about speed and efficiency. So we shoot JPEGs. We've always have, we always will. And, you know, every once in a while, like, you know, in in an online forum, some other photographer will like, you know, rip on me for it. And I just laugh and go, okay, my clients love my work and they pay me a ton of money. So, (laughs) um, you know, I don't really care about like arguing with people about how, how they should do it. You know, I figured out something that worked for me and I'm going to go with it. Absolutely. And you know what? I actually learned that lesson from you. And, and so I, you know, I, it's the candid stuff and stuff at the reception. You're taking, you might take a couple thousand images and if they're all raws, just the download time and the transfer time and the backup time, you're, you're putting a huge burden on your workflow. And uh, so when I switched to JPEG, I would shoot a couple raws if it was mixed lighting or something weird, you know, it sped everything up. Everything was faster. And uh, I remember hearing about some of the flack that you were getting and stuff. And, and I was just like, no, this is a great, this is a great way to go because the, I had never had one customer complain about a JPEG ever. No, never. No, no customer. Most of them don't even know raw versus JPEG. They don't know anything about that, you know? And then too, back in the film days, I used to have to shoot black and white film or color film. Um, and I would go back and forth all the time. So again, sometimes if you do get mixed lighting, Hey, that shot's black and white, you know? <laughs> And I, I love black and white photography anyway, and I think it's so timeless. And so we just hit desaturate and it's black and white. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's just, you know, I'm again, big believer in working smart, not hard. Oh, absolutely. Becker, I have a confession. I think you're one of the few people who will understand this as a wedding photographer. When I did the JPEGs, I used the jagged JPEGs, not the smooth ones. <laughs> and I never had anybody complain about it. And they're half the file size. It was just so much faster anyway. Yeah, I shoot the jagged JPEG too. Oh, so. you do? Oh my gosh, that's awesome! <laughs> so it's, it's all good. I remember in the early days when we first got our our digital cameras, we would turn the sharpening up all the way in the camera, mm-hmm. thinking that the pictures would be sharper. But that's not what sharpening does. So yeah, we learned that the hard way. But you know, hey, trial and error. That was way back a long time ago. Real quick, tell us about the B school, what it was, and tell us what you learned. Were there any important lessons there that you learned about the B school? It's no longer online, that's my understanding. What lessons did you learn from that? Yeah, we ran the B school for seven years. I did over 500 videos for photographers. It was a great community. We had a couple thousand members, um, and even more people were watching the videos on the blog and stuff. And I actually had a really good time because whatever I did in life, like, again, I felt like, gosh, I had some really good success in my photography career. And I'm just always the kind of guy that wanted to help other people do that. My, I was like, hey, I want to be the guy that's going to like lift them up instead of trying to keep them down. So I had some great success. And me and my friends were doing really well. And then a lot of my friends who I had mentored or taught ended up selling DVDs or here, sign up for my workshop. And I had done a few workshops here and there. But I came up with this idea where it was like more of a subscription model. So instead of selling a DVD for, you know, 500 bucks, I'm like, hey, join my site. It's, you know, 20 bucks a month and we're going to provide videos and a, a forum and a community. And I just, again, I learned a ton about that. And and like I said, made 500 videos and, and just shared as much as I knew. And then I just got to the point, I did it for seven years and then a lot more competition started coming around and. Uh, even competing with Facebook groups, kind of the online forums kind of went away. And I literally got to the point where I'm like, 
I don't have any more ideas. I've shared everything that I know about this business. And unless I want to start going and doing reruns of different topics and rehashing them, which I did for a little bit, but I'm like, okay, 500 videos. It was just kind of time to to shut that down and and just kind of move on and get back to photography. And, and then again, I had some changes going on in my personal life. I met a girl, I had a long distance relationship. I now live in the Midwest and I'm a dad now. And so my life's totally different now. And so, you know, but I, again, I still, I learned a ton of just again, helping other photographers and it was really rewarding. The thing that I loved about it, you did a couple of things that I thought were brilliant. In the very beginning of the B-School, you opened up legacy memberships. Do you remember that? I bought I bought one of those legacy memberships, but you were able to you were able to raise a lot of money initially. So instead of paying the subscription fee, what Becker was doing was saying, I think it was like five hundred bucks or something like that, and, and you and it was paid in full for eternity. And so he was able to raise a tremendous amount of money very quickly. But the second thing that was brilliant about the B school was uh, he did a residual business model where these subscription fees were coming in residually and. The third thing that I really loved about it was the interaction between the photographers. So it was almost like crowdsourcing within the B-School. Becker would have his lessons, but you also allowed us to communicate with, with each other. And I thought that was just awesome. Becker, before we get into the keto stuff, I have to ask, are you still mentoring wedding photographers or would you be open to mentoring uh, up and coming wedding photographers who wanted to have access to you? Yeah, I do have a little coaching site and I do a very specific thing. Again, I'm not the guy that's going to really critique your work or teach you off camera lighting, but I, I help photographers with pricing because there are so many photographers that just kind of pull some numbers out of the air and they say, here, this is what I charge. And there's no rhyme or reason and they don't make sense. And then they wonder why nobody's booking them. So I actually do a service. I call it the price check. And I literally just, I, hey, say, send me your price sheet. And I go over it and I kind of make some notes and then we have a little Skype chat and I tell them all the stuff that I learned over pricing over the, you know, many years of doing this. And I actually guarantee it. it you know, I charge 500 bucks for the service, but I give them a money back guarantee that if they don't think that it was worth it, that, Hey, no questions asked, here's your money back. But not one person has ever taken me up on that because Hey, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the money. And, and then we also go into some other things as far as like just the actual, how do you actually sell it? You know, how do you actually position the packages? How do you sell yourself? How do you tweak your website to get more inquiries? So people will check with you. And so that's been really fun. And that's what I, that's what I was really, really good at and really known for. And so I figured like, Hey, stick to what you know. And, you know, I do, I do a couple of those every month and, uh, I don't really advertise it or, or get it out there but I'm always willing to help photographers. And I, the, the crazy thing is I still am actually a working wedding photographer. I'm in the process of combining my business with my wife's business. She's a wedding photographer that I met when I moved to St. Louis. Or actually, I met her when I came to St. Louis to speak, and now I moved here. And we, we I love shooting with her. And I'm at this point, like I said, I am doing some other things now. So I'm like, hey, I love showing up on Saturdays and shooting the pictures. But my wife, uh, she can go ahead and do the Photoshop and build the albums and take care of the brides and I can help people lose weight, you know? So <laughs> so now we're going to segue into the weight loss stuff. And, and so Becker for many years was a great lover of food. We would always see on his blog, <laughs> on his blog posts, he was, you know, talking about Super Bowl parties and what he's eating. And it was pretty glorious. I had to, I have to admit Becker was a little heavy. And this is why I think it's so important to bring him on to the, to this podcast, the Maven Nation, is because Becker has lost over a hundred pounds the last couple of years, which I think is absolutely insane. 
And I am a firm believer that if you're struggling with somebody and you find somebody who really, really excels at it, you should probably pick their brain a little bit. And so I was struggling with some weight gain. I had gained some weight. I got injured. I wasn't able to work out as much as I had liked. And I had just, I gained 30 pounds, boom, 270. There you are, you know, and, and your metabolism slows down when you, when you get over 40. And so I had heard about the ketogenic diet through Becker started it, but it was having, I wasn't having the success that I wanted. And so I contacted him and talked to him about it. And he coached me through and I was able to lose 30 pounds down to 240. I'm in great shape right now. I'm working out again. And it was super beneficial. I've had many friends ask me about it. So Becker, tell us what is the ketogenic diet? What is the theory behind it? And how does it work? <laughs> well, oh uh, gosh, that's uh, <laughs> how much time we have. Basically, the ketogenic diet is one where you you train your body to burn fat for fuel instead of glucose and sugar, where most people, anybody on the standard American diet, they're eating lots of carbs, lots of sugar, and it's really quick energy. You eat something, you get a little pick-me-up, just like the Snickers commercial says, like, hey, if you're feeling down or hangry, have a Snickers, you'll feel good, and you will because that the carbohydrates are quick burning fuel and you get there. The problem is we all know that it crashes. Then you got to eat some more and you know, whatever that is a whole thing. But the ketogenic diet is where you literally basically cut out all carbs, all sugar, all grains. The only carbs you get are from some vegetables and maybe some nuts. And you really eat a, a low carb, high fat diet. And I know it sounds crazy. And when I tell people how much butter and bacon I eat on a regular basis, they all worry that I'm going to drop dead from a heart attack. And it's just not that way. So um, it, it really is amazing how it, oh gosh, not only the weight loss, but just so many great health benefits from eating a high fat diet. I have to get a side-by-side -side picture of you before and after. Uh, and tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you come to this, to the decision that it was time to lose weight? I think everybody kind of goes through that at some point, you know, th those of us who are not genetically gifted at least. And how did you come to that decision? And how did you find the ketogenic diet? How did you get started in coaching? Well, so let's back it up here. Um, so again, a few years ago, again, I was a single guy. I was traveling all over the world, shooting weddings, you know, room service, eating at airports, doing this, doing that. And then also single, really busy, living alone at home. I was getting, you know, pizzas delivered, Chinese food delivered. I was eating fast food like at least once a day. Sometimes I would have it for lunch and dinner. And I, I got to a point where I actually shot a wedding in Las Vegas and I got my picture taken with Elvis. And, um, and when I saw the picture of me and Elvis, I was like, God, I'm fatter than Elvis. And, <laughs> and, it, and I, I knew I was always a big guy, but I didn't realize how big I had become. And I, you know, I hadn't weighed myself in forever. And, and, so I'm like, I went over to my parents' house. I'm like, I'm going to step on the scale because I didn't own a scale. And I was guessing I was maybe pushing 250. Well, when I saw the number said 285 pounds, I was really kind of scared. I was like, oh, man, uh, that's that's uh, pushing 300. And, um, you know, I was kind of worried. We had a family friend who had just passed away for, from a heart attack who was about my size and was only a couple years older than me. And I just said like, okay, this weight, it's time to change. And so I actually read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Body, and I did a low-carb thing, and I lost 70 pounds. And it was awesome, and I was doing great, and I kept it off for a couple of years. But then again, habits start creeping back in, and you know, life happens. And like again, I mentioned the long-distance relationship earlier and all that stuff. And 
And turns out, gosh, about two years ago, I realized I had gained half of the weight back. And I was like, ah. So that's when I really started studying nutrition. And I read a book called Eat Bacon, Don't Jog. And and so even though Tim had me on this low carb plan, which is really good, if you want to lose weight, cut out the carbs. But the key for me was if you add the fat, that's what keeps you satisfied. And that's what makes this sustainable long term. So a lot of people do low carb and then they also do low fat and they're eating like lean chicken breast and broccoli with no butter. And it's like, that's really not a satisfying meal. But when you can start adding cheese and bacon and butter to everything, it's like, oh my gosh, you can eat all this delicious food that tastes really, really good. And so I was able to, you know, lose the weight back again. So I was down 70 pounds and then kept going. And then basically I'm right. I, you know, I'm every i lost 100 pounds 100 and a half pounds and every day uh, i weigh in i'm usually between 98 and 102 pounds down basically and so um and i you know just like i said i just eat this way not that i really need to lose more weight i could lose maybe 10 more pounds if i really tried but i eat this way because it's healthy long term and i and i feel good and i have all this energy and like i said i just started helping other people because sometimes i know what it's like as a big guy myself like I understand what it's like to struggle and be addicted to food and and not have self control. And I used to like look at those uh, infomercials and then like you see the guys all ripped and like, hey, do this exercise program, whatever. It's like, yeah, you've never been overweight a day in your life. You know, you've got a twelve pack, let alone a six pack. You know, yeah. I know. Oh, I just say I know where people are coming from. I know how they. I know how they feel to yeah. be overweight. And I'm like, okay, I can help you get through that. The the point about being. There, there takes, you know, I was going to ask you about, you know, what the greatest misperception about dieting today is, you know, what, what is the brainwashing that has occur, occurred in our society, in your opinion? Well, I mean, we could literally spend the entire episode just talking about these misperceptions, but I'm going to just go three really quick. Okay. First of all, the fact that you said dieting, okay, look, all diets in the short term work. Anytime you cut out crap or whatever, you're going to lose some weight. But then in the long run, all diets fail every single one because even though if you lose a few pounds on this plan the second you go back to your old eating habits the weight comes back it's just that's the whole cycle of yo-yo dieting i'm sure many people have experienced it because that's how it works for everybody so the point is really to make it a lifestyle and something that you can sustain long term the second um the second mis uh the second greatest misconception about dieting is it's about calories for our whole lives, we've been taught about calories in versus calories out. Oh, if you uh, eat a cupcake, you got to go jog six miles or whatever. And people just get hung up on calories. And the thing is, it's really not about calories at all. And it comes down to hormones. Hmm. And there's a bunch of different hormones that you know determine whether your body's going to store fat or lose fat, insulin being the number one thing. And so again, if you keep your insulin low, your body will burn fat. When your insulin hot is high, your body stores fat. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, when you eat a lot of carbohydrates, your insulin is high and your body stores fat. And again, if you eat a ketogenic diet, your insulin stays really low and you burn fat. And there's that. And then the last uh, big misconception about dieting is uh, uh, about saturated fat. For so long, we've been Mm -hmm. told that fat is is bad for you. Saturated fat will clog your arteries and cause, you know, high cholesterol and all that stuff. And that that notion that was floated like way back in the 50s had some really sketchy science behind it. And then if you look in 1977, when the US came up with their health guidelines, 
you know, obesity wasn't really a thing. I mean, there was always a few people that had a few genetic things, but there weren't a lot of obese people. And if you look from like basically 1977 on, it basically hockey sticks mm. and the obesity rate is going through the roof. And that's right about the time that the government and all the doctors start saying, hey, eat a low fat diet. And when you take fat out of it and you replace it for carbohydrates, people get fat. And it's, it's, it's not even for me, it's not even about weight loss anymore. Like I said, it's about health and man, people are getting diabetes and all these diseases that are uh, metabolic diseases based on their bad diet. So again, if we can get over your fear of fat and realize that, Hey, high cholesterol is actually nothing to really worry about. It's certain kinds of cholesterol that can be dangerous, but guess what? They're the kind of de cholesterol that develop when you eat a lot of grains and sugar. If you cut that crap out, you really don't have to worry about cholesterol. Absolutely. And, and two points that you brought up that I love about the ketogenic diet is sustainability. It's something that you can, you can, I feel like I can sustain indefinitely, which other diets, you know, you start feeling that stress and that pressure after a certain amount of time to eat something different. And the, uh, satiability of fats. Like when you eat a nice piece of bacon, there's something in your body that just goes, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that's really nice. And, and you lose the hunger, you know, if you're eating these different kinds of fats, that's, that's one of the key differences is that, yeah, it's okay. You can eat fat. It's not going to make you fat. It's actually going to make you lose fat. Uh, besides losing weight, are there any other medical benefits that we know of about the ketogenic diet, any research or anything of that nature? It's still very new and it's hard to prove this stuff and it's hard to, you know, say the things that I have to be careful what I actually say. Like there are studies that suggest that cancer is fueled by glucose. So if you remove glucose and sugar from your diet, the cancer can't grow. And so a lot of people, I'm not saying like a ketogenic diet cures cancer, but I'm saying it can help maybe slow down the spread. There's all kinds of studies coming out like that. But the one thing that you can do is if you go to the American Diabetes Association uh, and they say that if you get type two diabetes, it says that it is a, uh, a, there's no cure for it and you'll be on insulin for the rest of your life basically. And bottom line is time after time after time, 99 people out of a hundred that try this, if you just cut out eating sugar and carbs and go on a ketogenic diet, you will actually reverse type two diabetes. Oh, and, wow. um, I, I was at a point where I was pre-diabetic. I was never actually diabetic, but I'm no longer pre-diabetic. I completely uh, control my blood sugar, my blood pressure, all these factors that, uh, there's just so many things that are, that are so good about this diet. But like you mentioned before, you know, it is about being satiated. When you eat something that's very satisfying, you don't feel hungry. And that's the thing. We only have so much willpower and, you know, you can, you can hold out for as long as you can hold out, but eventually hormones are going to win. But the ketogenic diet will actually regulate your hunger hormones. So when you're eating fat, your hunger hormones are really happy and it doesn't cause you to crave stuff yeah. like that. Anymore. So that's the whole thing. It's like, yeah, you get rid of the addiction. And I know when I first started, I would go out, you know, I got to Mexican food and I would get like fajitas and I would just, I'd skip the rice and beans and tortillas but my friend or whoever I was dining with, they get their big old thing of chips and salsa. And I'd be like, oh, please take that away. Get it out of my face. Now I go out all the time and I, I look at it and it's like, I don't even care if it's there because I'm not even tempted by it, you know? Yeah. And that just comes down That's to important. not that I have great willpower. It's just <laughs> that my hormones don't crave that kind of crap anymore. I was reading some, that's, that is the truth. You know, I have a couple points. Uh, the first one was I read some articles that the ketogenic diet is sometimes prescribed to children with seizures. And it's able to cure them. Do you know anything about that? 
That, that was the original point of this diet back a hundred years ago. They talked about people that had epilepsy. They would do this kind of thing and it would, it would uh, be better for their brain. And again, I can't, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but there are all these studies that w- the way that the ketones work is that it ketone or it's a ketone body. It's actually a little thing that is produced in the liver and it comes down and, and your brain, your brain can, is most people's brains are fueled by glucose, but you can actually fuel it with these ketones and it just, it's a better brain food. And one of the side effects of having being on a ketogenic diet is just that you have clearer thoughts and you, mm-hmm. you just function better and you're, you're mentally aware and sharp. And so they, they do talk about that with children and stuff. I never dealt with that. So I haven't done a ton of studies on those things, but, um, I'm just looking at all the other health benefits. So I've been helping people lose weight for a while now. But it's not even just losing weight. It's like they're just getting on a path to a long-term healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. And, you know, if you look at what white sugar is and how it's, you know, soft drink, for example, if you were to take all the sugar out of a soft drink and try to eat that sugar by the teaspoon or the tablespoon, you it would be extremely difficult to do that, you know, it just because your body is going to reject it. And so we live in an age of technology where we're taking this refined sugar, which I'm starting to, to associate with being a pharmaceutical drug now because of the, you know, the high that you get and the addictiveness of it. It will light up those pleasure centers in your brain. I mean, it is addictive drug for sure. Uh, I think it's toxic, but the scary thing is obviously people know, like if you're on a diet, like don't eat cupcakes, don't eat cake, don't eat pie. But what they think is like, oh, I'll have some low fat yogurt, (laughs) which once you take the fat out of yogurt, it tastes really, really, really bad. So to make it feel good, like or taste good again, you got to add a bunch of sugar to it. So people have been eating these low fat foods that they think, oh, it's low fat. It must be good for me. But there's so much sugar in there that it's always, always worse for you to eat the low fat option every single time. There's not one exception to that rule. Um, if it says low fat on the package, like literally throw it away. It's terrible for you. And, um, you know, so, but we've been taught as a nation for the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. Oh, cut out the fat, do this, do that. And it's just like, God, we're just getting sicker and sicker as a nation and, and people are getting bigger and bigger and more and more unhealthy. Um, but yeah, sugar, is bad. And again, sugar's in ketchup. It's in salad dressing. It's in all these things that you don't even think it's in. Of course, a big soda, you know, is, you know, full of sugar, but, but it's, it's the hidden sugar, which is actually the scary thing. Regular wheat bread has a ton of sugar. You know, bread's not much better for you than white bread. So that's why I thought if you're gonna have bread, might as well eat the white bread. It tastes better. (laughs) That's true. So I have to ask you how much exercise would be required. So a lot of people associate exercise with losing weight. And this is, I really believe the ketogenic diet is the most efficient way to lose weight because how much exercising do you need to do while you're, while you're on this diet plan to lose weight? Need to do none. Okay. So I actually did my challenge. So I, you know, when I first started helping and coaching people, my challenge originally was called the lazy man's challenge. And it literally you could do zero exercise and still lose a ton of weight. Okay. And I lost a hundred pounds, barely exercising at all. Okay. I will tell you in, in those years that I did that, I probably sweated like three times because I figured I was allergic to exercise because every time I exercise, I get all sweaty and dizzy and I wasn't very good. So I just, I hated exercising and I'm like, okay, I I wanted to prove a point. Like say, Hey, I can lose a hundred pounds without exercising at all. Now exercise does have some great health benefits. It makes you stronger. There's lots of things that exercise are good for, but going back to those misconceptions is exercise is not actually good for losing weight because when you exercise a lot, a lot of times you get hungrier and so people overeat to compensate. And so they don't actually lose weight 
exercising. If you eat really, really well, you know, they always say abs are made in the kitchen, you know, so it's like mostly like eat good. Uh, that's going to be 80% of it. Exercise might be 10% of it. And then the other 10% is you want to, you know, get proper sleep and keep your stress levels low. So going back to managing those hormones. Absolutely. And when I, when I went on it, I was again injured. And so I wasn't working out at all. And I lost 20 pounds just in six weeks, I think six or seven weeks right off the bat. I wasn't, I was not doing any, I wasn't even walking. And I was like, holy cow, you know, if, if somebody's obese, it makes sense. Just do the diet lose the weight. And then at some point, if you want to get back into the gym, go for it. You know, if, if that's your goal. When I was bigger, I'm like, there's no way I can, again, at 285 pounds, like, dude, I can't get through insanity. I bought it and I'm trying to do these exercises and I'm like cussing at the TV and I'm like, <laughs> I literally thought I was going to die. And I'm like, no, this is not good. There's got to be another way. So again, I would walk a little bit and do little things like that, but I wasn't actually exercising in the form of like, Hey, I'm going to go do some cardio or jog or whatever. So again, you can lose weight doing it. But then now I'm at this point where, yeah, I've lost all this weight and I'm, I do exercise now. I do, uh, again, I do a short little, you know, eight or 10 or 12 minute routine at home, depending on what day it is. And I just kind of mix it up and I just do weights. I still, I never jog. I, I, you'll never, ever, ever see me jogging. Um, sprinting maybe sprinting is actually really good exercise, but jogging, eh, it's just not actually good for you. And um, there's just so many things that everyone thinks it's good for you, but it's just not. It's bad on your knees and all that stuff. But um, but again, I'm trying to make myself stronger. There are tons of benefits to exercising, but weight loss just isn't one of them. So that's what I'm telling people. Like, hey, you can actually lose weight by just watching what you eat, eating the right things, avoiding certain others, and you don't have to worry about doing all that exercise. So you've done a couple of these lazy man challenges over the past year or two. And on average, I know you can't really say specifically, but if somebody actually sticks to the diet for three months, what range of weight can they expect to lose if they're really religious about it? So our, our challenge is 100 days. So it's a little bit longer than three months. And we tell people to shoot for 10% of their weight, their body weight. Wow. And we figured that's a, actually a really reasonable goal. And when we were looking at some of the math from some of the earlier uh, participants and stuff, 75% of the people would actually lose between 8 and 15%. So a couple of people just went a little bit shy. But again, seven, three out of four people literally were in that ballpark of like, eight to 15%. And there would be a few people, you know, 10% of the people would lose more than 15%. You know, obviously the bigger you are, the easier it is to lose weight. So a 300 pound guy, it's easier to lose 30 pounds than a 150 pound woman to lose 15 pounds, you know? So, mm -hmm. so again, the, the bigger you are, the, the more the weight usually comes off quicker. Um, but you know, we'd have a handful of people that actually would crush, you know, 18, even 20% of their weight loss. And then there were a few people that, that, you know, they didn't hit their goal because they didn't either stick with it or there are certain people that, again, everyone's got different genes and th yeah. they don't always re relate to this. There were some people that just, they signed up and they just couldn't eat the fat. They just said, <laughs> oh my God, I cannot fathom mentally putting butter onto my vegetables and eating it. And so they didn't, they didn't do very well, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, it's not, it's not for everybody. You, you know, I, I have another confession here. Like sometimes when I'm feeling hungry. I, I keep a carton of heavy whipping cream in my refrigerator and I will literally open that and drink some of it. You know, not a lot, but that's like, that stuff is what's used to make butter and it just kills the hunger. You know, I just drink a couple tablespoons and I'm good to go. And so that's a, a really strange mindset to get over eating coconut oil or eating butter and, you know, not feeling guilty about it. That's something that, that everybody has to overcome. I was going to 
also ask you uh, about cheat days. If you're if somebody's doing this 100 day diet, you know what are the, what's the, the thought and the logic about having a cheat day where you can have an ice cream or a snack or some candy? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's a slippery slope. It's uh, I, I we have a whole section on cheat days in my program, and we talk about it. We say, hey. Let's think about it a couple different ways. When I first did the low carb thing with Tim Ferriss, it, it was all about the Saturday cheat day. And so I knew like on Thursday when I was craving ice cream, I was like, oh, if I could just wait till Saturday, I could have a cheat day guilt free and I, I would do it. And I did that for a year and and it, and it worked because psychologically it helped me get through. Mm-hmm. What, what the problem is it, it does kind of mess up some of the progress that you're making and stuff. And so we just tell people like, look. You're an adult. You're not a six-year-old. You can go a hundred days without a snack or without a without a cupcake or something like that. And then if you want to have something every once in a while after the hundred days, hey, you got to live life and yeah. you got to. I'm trying not to turn into like a total weird person that <laughs> that. I mean, I eat sugar sometimes every once in a while. Again, my mom makes these cinnamon rolls at Christmas time, and I'm going to eat those because that's like our family tradition. It's funny because last year we ate those and I kind of felt sick afterwards, but you know, because the sugar is poison, but whatever. Um, But every once in a while you got to live life and you got to do something. If you're going on a trip or if you're, you know, when I go to New York City, I go and I get a New York City bagel or a slice of pizza and, you know, whatever. But I only do that knowing that I'm going right back because I'm committed to this lifestyle long term Mm -hmm. that like, okay, yeah, I'll go. I probably won't feel good for a couple of hours and I'll gain a couple pounds. But guess what? It'll come back off as soon as I start eating my ribeye steaks and my pork chops and my bacon and all that yeah. stuff. It's sort of like it's sort of like, you know, and sometimes I, I didn't mean to bring up the topic of fasting, but I, I fast once one day a week on Sundays. I just, you know, just because it makes me feel good and it, it kind of resets and gets the, all those, you know, the sugar out of my system and it, the, the clarity and everything. And so I did some experimental fasting uh, where you drink water for three and then I went five days and the clarity that you get from it is crazy. But the take home message there were. All of these things are tools that you can put in your toolbox so you you have an answer if you're gaining weight. You know, and so I know a lot of our listeners are, you know, maybe they they are concerned about gaining weight, but they're too busy with, you know, life and raising kids and working and they don't have time to work out. Ladies and gentlemen, ketogenic diet I, is something I recommend you try absolutely. And it may not work for everybody, as as Becker was saying. But Becker, tell us a little bit about ketology.co what you're doing there and what the program is. What is that all about? Yeah, well, like I said, my original thing was called the Lazy Man's Challenge. And I, I rebranded it because uh, women wanted to join too. And they're like, hey, can can women join? And I'm like, yeah, we actually had more women sign up than men. It was about 60% to 40%. So that's why we kind of just rebranded. And basically what it is, it's an online coaching program where you know you, you'll get access. And I've made a ton of little videos. And it's kind of an automated program. I've already made these videos. I've written the emails. I've got the grocery lists and the recipes and the meal plans. All that stuff's ready to go. And you just, you know, you have to pay to sign up and then you get access to our Facebook community. And so if people do have questions for me or the other people, like we were mentioning with the B school, someone will ask a question. And if I'm busy or sleeping, someone else will, you know, on the other side of the world will write back and respond and give that person an answer right away. And then I'll, you know, chime in when I wake up the next morning or whatever. But we have this just great community of people that are all trying to lose weight. And when you do something together as a group, you're, I think, a lot more likely to hit your your goals. And so we just kind of, it's about accountability and motivation. And I tell people all the time, okay, here's, I mean, this is the thing. You don't need to pay for anything at all. You could say, Hey, you want to lose weight? Stop eating sugar. Stop eating grains. Okay. You will lose weight for sure. 
If you want to stay satisfied, add some fat to that and then you'll feel satisfied and you'll never feel hungry. That is it. That is the secret. Okay. Now the trick is it's a lot easier said than done. So that's what we've kind of come up with is these like techniques to actually help you implement that into your lives. Because a lot of people, when they first try a ketogenic diet, they try it for a week or so. Maybe they lost a few pounds, but they feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And it's because your body's switching fuel systems. You're switching from being a, a sugar burner to being a fat burner. And the body doesn't really like change. And it doesn't like going through that. Think about like if you were just going to give up coffee cold turkey or something like that. People would freak out because your body is used to getting these certain things. So it, it does take a good three, maybe four weeks to kind of get adjusted to become fat adapted. And then again, you start using fat for fuel. So again, eat that butter, eat that bacon. But then guess what? Like you mentioned fasting, you can actually just go ahead and eat your own belly fat when you need some energy. So it's funny because I do some fasting from time to time and there'll be these days where I'm fasting. I, I actually fast on wedding days now and I'll go shoot a 12-hour wedding and I won't eat a single bite of food wow. knowing that I can get plenty of energy mm -hmm. from my body. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it just it, fat is a much more effective fuel source. Yes. And, and again, I just – that's the thing now. Yeah, I've lost a bunch of weight. I feel great. I look a lot better than I used to. But again, I just have so much energy now. It's not even funny. And that's why I'm just passionate. Just like I was with the B-School trying to help other photographers build their business and make more money. Now I'm at the point like, hey, guess what? I used to be fat. I used to be obese. And I was at that point where I was ashamed and embarrassed and all that stuff. And now I'm like, I'm no longer overweight. And I, it feels so good. And to be able to help other people who struggled, because I struggled my whole life. I tried every diet imaginable. I did all kinds of exercise programs. And then I just realized, oh, all I got to do is cut out the carbs and eat a bunch of bacon. Yeah, okay, cool. Sign me up. I can do that. Becker, I think your enthusiasm for the ketogenic diet really comes. Every time I talk to you, you, you just I can feel the energy coming from it. Where can our listeners go to find more about uh, the ketogenic diet and what you're doing in terms of coaching? Well, it's just ketology.co. It's not .com. Uh, there's nothing at that side. I want to buy it, but there's nothing there. Um, and then, like I said, there, you can just kind of read my story. There's a short little two-minute video that you can watch about, uh, again, me and Elvis. And then, um, gosh, if any of your listeners want to check it out, they can just use the coupon code MAVEN, and Ooh. it'll give them a nice juicy discount and save them, save them some money on that too. What a great coupon code name. I can't imagine. <laughs> Becker, is there anything else? We've gone way over. I originally told Becker 20 to 30 minutes, but I, I this, this is just, I am loving the interview, Becker. It's been great having you on the show. Is there anything else you want to add before we, we close it for the day? No, like I said, man, I, I want to, the last thing I want to say is just plug your book again, because I really love uh, what you're sharing in there. And it just, it's a, it's applicable to any part of your life. And so again, whether it's business or family life or, or again, dieting, like making your life. So it's like, okay, Hey, make this, these little efficient little changes in your life. And, uh, and like you mentioned earlier, the ketogenic diet is a very efficient way to lose weight. So, oh and thanks for your book. Becker, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule, and we were honored to have you on here. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Becker, he goes by Becker. I call him B sometimes. Check out his website. I'll put the links in the descriptions and in the transcripts. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.